Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome in. It's Miller and Condon on a Wednesday, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. It's Trent Condon, Ken Miller. We're talking sports with you for the next couple of hours. Appreciate you spending some of that uh, period of time here with us. BMW of Des Moines guest list looks like this. Today we will, uh, at the bottom of the hour, catch up with David Eicholt, uh, Hawkeye Insider. Insider.com, part of 24-7 Sports. Uh, he was at the Iowa Press Availabilities yesterday, so David Eicholt uh, will join us as we look forward to Kent State uh, coming up on uh, Saturday. 10.30, David Eicholt. Off to Vegas at 10.45, Kenny White, uh, terrific line maker, wonder, a good guy, uh, but uh, really good at what he does. And with week number one of the NFL in the books, we've got some gambling questions, sports betting questions for Kenny White. Uh, he'll help Help us. I've got a couple of games he wants to opine upon. I'm anxious to pick his brain on UNLV. Maybe UConn UNLV. <laughs> oh, that sounds bad. That does sound bad, doesn't it? I wonder if he uh, I'm sure he does. Uh, can work up a line at some point. It's all based on power rankings. Sure. And I'm sure he'll have them in front of us. But Kenny White on a lot of stuff at 1045. Cappy is here. Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors David Kaplan. He will uh, kick off our number two of the program. Centurion Stone of Iowa for Cappy. And, of course, we will uh, talk well about those Chicago Bears. They host the Cincinnati Bengals this week. Uh, in a uh, get-well game. Also going to bring up Brennan Davis. How about that debut for the kid? Second-round pick, number one uh, as far as the prospect list of the Cubs. I think he's 14th overall in baseball. Gets called up to AAA. The Iowa Cubs are on the road in Omaha. Tommy Birch gets in the car, goes west to cover it, and Brennan hits two home runs in his first two AAA at-bats. Cubs fans salivating over the one-day center fielder, at least you would assume, uh, as he got his first taste of AAA. So that, the Bears, the Cubs, the White Sox, etc., uh, the usual cast of characters with Cappy at 11.05. And then Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, who are 1-0 after that win over Cleveland on opening, well, the opening Sunday, anyways, of the NFL. They go on the road and take on Baltimore Sunday Night Football on NBC. Uh, that game, of course, seven twenty. Maybe one of the better games of the week, assuming Baltimore, coming off a short week, is able to get their house in order and um, be ready to go on Sunday night when the Chiefs come to town. A game there was a lot of anticipation about. Was it last year or two years ago uh, when Kansas City went uh, to Baltimore and they pounded the Ravens? Remember that, that was, game? That was two years ago? I don't remember. Ravens got some problems. I think, yeah, we'll see. The running game, obviously, mm-hmm. with all the injuries that they've had. Peters goes down like the very next play in practice after their uh, running backs um, uh, were carted off. So, yes, they've got some problems. They, I, I mean, I kept looking at the number last night. I put together a little parley just in advance of heading out to uh, LV so I didn't have to be tempted with money in my pocket, sure. knowing that my app won't work when I get out of the state of Iowa, which is probably a good thing. That That's a good PSA also for people heading out to Vegas Yeah, that's this a good week. point, right? If you want to bet in, bet in advance because mm-hmm. once you get on the plane, you're, it's not going to work. Now, of course, you can bet there. Of but course, yeah. DraftKings is not even available in no. Nevada. But 
Say you have an account that is also has a Nevada location. Your account in Iowa will not work in now, Nevada. No, I'm not sure. No, but your but your wallet transfers. You can transfer that, yes. Right. And so it might be downloading a different app. Right. Could be the possibility you get to, as opposed to the Iowa one, or you're going to have to click your location, move that over. Yeah, the PSA, I think, would be don't be waiting till you know, first pitch or whatever it is you want. Give yourself a little time or walk up to the window and back. Right, right. And you can also fill out, you can also go mobile uh, with, if you're staying at the Venetian or you're st- wherever property you're doing, mm-hmm. you're, you're staying at, they have account wagering and you just walk up to the counter to uh, you know sign up for an account, put your money in, uh, give them your money and they'll load your funds and away you go. Um, I can't wait. Uh, Trent, I am expecting to be in and not me, the city is going to be overrun with Cyclone fans. Making their way out there. 30,000, I think that's a yeah, fair estimate. I think it's fair too. And I don't. Uh, look, Twitter's, Twitter's some you can kind of maybe get a handle. We'll get to that in a second of, of the pulse of what's going on. But I don't see much. I don't think that this, this lost any luster, this trip, right. after this past weekend. Um, did you see the Peyton Eli numbers that came out? Was it 800,000? 800,000, which was. You know, but what what did the game do? Six point something million or mm-hmm. seven point something million? Look on the surface, it sounds like there was that uh, this was a flop. I don't think ESPN's looking at it that way. The number that they did on normal, based on head to head this year to last year, was about the same. But they had eight hundred extra people, eight hundred thousand extra people potentially watching the game on on uh, on ESPN two, and I think that's going to grow. And you get the social media aspect of it, and you get the people talking about it, and Leading into Monday Night Football this week, I'm going to guess people that missed it just didn't even realize, oh, oh, that was the paint. I thought that wasn't starting until week four or whatever right. it is because they're not doing the full slate. Whatever it was, this is what it is. All right, I'll pop over this week and take a look at it. Yeah. yeah. The engagement that you get out of something like that, it's not just strictly about the televisions that are watching it. Sure. There's a lot more that goes into it there. I, I certainly, looking at those numbers, wouldn't call it a flop. And still, what is that? 15%? Of the people that were watching Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. were watching two guys sitting in the living rooms right. watching the game. Yeah, I, I'm with you. But you know what? It's it, it's funny because I'll just do this personally. Judging by my Twitter feed, everybody was watching the Mannings. Right, right. That's why it, Twitter Twitter many times is not yes, a true representation, indeed, of what's actually happening that's, in the that's, world. That's very true. Well, what's happening in the sports world when it comes to baseball? Anyways, here we go again. Death, taxes. And the Cardinals in the playoffs. And as we wake up on the 15th of September, two and a half weeks before the end of the regular season, and Trent, if they were to end today, your St. Louis Cardinals would be on their way to L.A. to take on the Dodgers. But they're in the playoffs. I mean, what what a run that they're on right now. That was a good win, especially after the bullpen again coughed it up as Baez leads off the ninth inning, ties the game. Uh, They go to extras. They open up a 7-4 lead, and they needed every one of those insurance runs because, once again, hair on fire uh, to get the third out in uh, what was the 11th inning uh, last night. But hats off to the Redbirds, man. This is... um, I didn't see it coming. Not after August. Right. And we looked through the schedule and just, it was a season where it never felt like they could get their footing. And you coupled that with, at the time, and especially back in July, the Padres were looking so good. Yes. That you're not chasing right. them down. It's going to come out of the Both West. Both wild cards are yep. in the NL West. It was going to be as simple as mm-hmm. that. All right, you're six and a half back, but 
Are the Padres really going to go? And now the Padres are what eight and twenty-one, I think it is. It's ridiculous. Over the last twenty-nine yeah. games, their bullpen's awful. Arietta's Tingler started. might get fired, especially after yeah. he fired Rothschild. He he mm-hmm. was the scapegoat, and he fired him. Um, well, we'll see. I get it. Nobody cares about Chase Tingler losing <laughs> right. his job, but um, we'll, we'll we'll see how that one plays out. But good for the Cardinals; they got a chance. It's uh, good for business having a local team in. Mm-hmm. I get that the Brewers are air quote, but yeah, they don't move the needle. Not local to Central Iowa. No, Northeast Iowa. Big. Sure. Here, not as big. Right. Great ballpark. Love going to that yes. ballpark. Hey, we've got, uh, at this time tomorrow, we're going to be joined. I'm not going to say who it is, but we've um, speculated about what we thought would be an announcement sometime this summer. Oh, numerous times throughout the winter months and throughout the summer months. And look, I love it when guys pay their dues mm-hmm. and work in the minor leagues with the hope of finally fulfilling a dream of getting to the highest level in their profession, in the sport that they cover. That's going to happen tomorrow morning. And that announcement's going to be made around 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. And the subject of that announcement, I'm not going to spoil it for them. Folks out there, you can listen, put two and two together. It's not hard. It'll equal four every time. (laughs) Um, But that announcement's going to be made official tomorrow Des Moines losing a good guy mm-hmm. tomorrow. One of the good people. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But as um, you know, is selfishly, on one hand, yeah, I wish he was staying. But on the other hand, man, good for you. Getting you've the call worked, to the show. Getting the call to the show. You've worked hard for this. You deserve this. And now you're at the pinnacle of your profession. And that announcement will be made tomorrow. And that person will join us in 24 hours. And we'll congratulate him in person as... Um, Des Moines losing a good one. Good stuff. Yeah, it is a good stuff. It is good stuff. From there, because we don't want to spoil it. You already talked a little UNLV Iowa State or Kent State Iowa because after last week, it's really hard to get back into it, right? Kent State, all right. They lead the country in interceptions. They got an offense that can move the football. Mm -hmm. But is Iowa in danger? Is this a letdown spot? No, it's not. It's not a letdown spot. They're kinnick. The place is going to be going crazy. This is too good of a football team. Defense doesn't let down. Maybe the offense was, but the offense has been pedestrian at best the first two weeks. I I, I just don't see it. Are you seeing that there's speculation? Some angst? Not really. And that's almost maybe why, for me, my mind kind of goes to that speculative nature. Maybe they're going to be in a little trouble, and this is a tussle in the second half and, yeah. and those kind of things. But the way this defense is played, the depth that they've shown. Yeah. Kent State can move the ball and maybe you'll hit a couple of plays, but at best, best case scenario, Kent State, Kent State special teams, you know, a, a pick six, those things aside, Kent State's offense puts up, best case scenario, 17, 21. <sighs> Better offense, Iowa State or Kent State? I mean, it's Iowa State. It's Iowa State. Right, and you saw what how Iowa State struggled against that that football that defense. I, I just and, and conversely, Trent, and I was looking at the app last night, and I I won't bet the locals, but I started to talk myself into. But if you're doing the total, you're uh-huh. not really betting the betting one of the locals, Ken. <laughs> that that's your direction that you're. That, that's where that's where I was, uh, you know, trying to. Con- I didn't in the end. I love the mental gymnastics <laughs> that we make as betters. But how how the hell is UNLV going to score? Against because Iowa State's got a defense. Yes, they do. And 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 UNLV, their quarterback is hurt. Mm-hmm. Broomfield is hurt. He didn't finish the game. Now he's a weapon, 
Now, granted, Tate Martell, who was a five-star when he signed at Ohio State and left after a cup of coffee uh, to Miami and then flamed out there and took advantage of an extra year, and he was on the sidelines wearing a baseball hat and signaling in plays. I don't know if he's going to be ready or not. Trent, you know he's awful. They're really, really bad. I watched They're really bad. That Thursday Thursday night, right, of opening college football of week one. Uh, late, yeah. Well, They played yeah. Eastern Washington, mm-hmm. and I watched basically from the middle of the third quarter on that game on my phone, and they can't tackle. It's just, it's such a poor tackling team. That mm-hmm. was... It just leapt off the screen as I was watching it. Iowa State's going to get right here. They're going to get yes. right in a big way. Yep. And all the angst and all the disappointment and mm-hmm. the Brock Purdy conversation and the, the offensive Hall. line, who's the second receiver, all these things, this is the perfect opportunity and what's going to be a fun environment for Cyclone fans that are there, for the team, mm-hmm. to go on the road but walk out and have that many people there cheering you Into a you pro on. stadium. That is going to be just a great moment. Mm-hmm. You're going to get right. Things are going to go well, yeah. and everything will be right in the world once again because there's no way to slice UNLV keeping this close. They, I just don't see how they can. No. So the number's 52. Trent, I think this is I, – I didn't bet, mm-hmm. but I was really tempted to fire on the under. On the under. On the under. So you're Because I don't think Iowa State's going to – how many points Iowa State going to score? 42? Yeah. 42-7. Right? Something like that. That's kind of how I see it. 38-10. Right okay. in that range. Yeah. Because if they do get that lead in the second half, and they are up 28-3 at the half. Clone's got some depth defensively, too, and they're going to they want to play their you-know-what's off. Absolutely. So those young guys who stuck around, didn't bail when knowing that there's not going to be a starting job there. They're, they're working. And now this is going to be their game opportunity. And mm-hmm. Campbell looks at it and says, we got Baylor up next. We got Baylor that had us on the ropes a yes. year ago. And we got to go there. And remember, mm-hmm. two years ago, right. we weren't able to use their tents, and right. it was a, a whole big thing. We got a conference game, and it's now about the conference championship next week. Right. Foot off the gas, 52 and a half. You got my wheels turning. Yeah. I like that. We'll, we'll see. You know, I, I saw a post last night, and I, and I dismissed it. Um, I don't know if it was a, a vignette. What do we call those things? <laughs> Video. Um, vignette. Yeah. Uh, it was some guy on Barstool. Um, Walker is his last name. He thinks that this is Iowa State's worst loss in program history. Worst loss in program And you know what? I don't and he doesn't mean score. Obviously sure. 77. What was what was the Baylor game? 71-7, 77-7. Remember that? Yeah, Art I Bryles? Do, yeah. I think it was 71 to 7. So that I would think score-wise is the worst. But you know what? The more I started thinking about this, I think his point is I get where I get the case he's trying to make. Um the worst loss in school history because this was the best team coming back in school history. No doubt. And your in-state rival is on the other side of the field. And your two top ten teams going into it. And this was the year, if there's ever going to be a year, that there's going to sniff the playoffs. This is going to be it. Game day shows up. The entire college football world before games kicked off, watching Ames unfold and come alive, Right. And then to lay the egg, and part big part of it was Iowa. Sure. <laughs> Let's be honest, uh, because that, that Hawkeye defense is salty. Can you make that case that this is the biggest lost in school history because everything that was on the line, there was nothing on the line when they got beat 71-7. to Right. There's been opportunities to win Big 12 Norths that a, that a kick that went awry didn't go through, and that cost him. But they were going to get bludgeoned. As this 
Colorado did that one year. Right. One and, of those two yeah, years. Joel Klatt got knocked out of the football game. What was that, 70-3? to three? Something like that, yeah. yeah. That would have been Iowa mm-hmm. State. That would have been Iowa State. Maybe a little better fight, but right. that would have been them. I think it's a fair point. And it's a fair point because looking at the way now national media has talked about this from... Because they were all on board last week, Trent. Oh, yes. That's a good point. Chris the Bear Felica. Yeah. Stanford Steve. I listened to them last night, and the talking point was, you got to show up. Mm-hmm. Pat Felica's as big of a... Che- nah, cheerleader's not the right word. He, look, he's, he likes Iowa State. Yes. He's going to say that. And he's bet him on him. a cheerleader. No, and he's bet on him. Right. He's better, and he bet on him, and yep. he put his money where his mouth is. Mm-hmm. He was wrong in that But they're, they're, they're not one of the blue bloods, but here they are approaching blue blood territory for a year. For a year. Not, not forever. No. But for a year, they had maybe going to get one of those coveted seats at the table. And this is the, the talking point that I had this summer. It's not a birthright. It's not easy. Expectations are one thing. Regardless of who you return, college football, unless you are a true blue blood, not a near blue blood, not a blue blood for a year, but a real blue blood, the breaks that you have to have to put together those kind of seasons in back-to-back mm-hmm. years, it's not impossible, but it's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And even with that, and sorry Cyclone fans, yes, to bring it back to the Hawkeyes, look at the three-year stretch that they had 2 to 4 Even in those years, there were losses in there. Mm-hmm. They didn't run the table. No. They didn't go perfect. No. And they finished each of those years ranked eighth in the country, yet they had two losses in two of the years, Three losses in the other. And if Iowa State goes 9-3 and three this year, and they win a bowl game and go 10-3, and three, that's going to be considered a disappointment to so many fans. And that's what I tried to warn against mm-hmm. this summer. When you get your expectations to that level, where nothing short of a Big 12 championship and a college football playoff is going to be a disappointment for you, four times the not, unless you're a blue blood, you're going to be disappointed. That's not to say they still can't do these things, and they still can't win a Big 12 championship because they absolutely still still can do that. You can do those things. But when you put it on that kind of pedestal, when you say, we're going to be a playoff team, Mm -hmm. and you're not, Mm -hmm. that's where the expectations, that's where the frustration lies. And ultimately, I think that's bad for a fan. When you put yourself at that high of a level, you're not going to enjoy it. This team goes 10-2 and in the regular season and gets another shot, say against Oklahoma in the championship game, and falls short. That's a disappointment. Yeah. You win 10 games, right. and that's a disappointment right. at Iowa State. you got to give your head a shake on that. That's yeah. just not right. No, I mean, the, the, the expectations were there. I get the guy's point. I didn't mm-hmm. at first. I thought, eh, maybe that's a little bit over the top. But this is you know, from a national perspective, and the national media bought into this story last week mm-hmm. in a massive way, in a big, big way. Look, it was the best. It was the, it was the, the game that had two top 10 teams playing each other yeah. this past weekend. The Oregon-Ohio State game was, well, here comes Ohio State again. All right, they're going to bludgeon them. Another Pac-12 uh-huh. disappointment. Here yeah. it comes. Come get your whooping. Right. They showed up in a different way, too. They, they certainly did. But that's another reason that it was kind of overlooked, I think, at a national scale, because everybody just believed the Buckeyes will roll the football mm-hmm. out. They figured it out in the second half against Minnesota. They'll do the same thing. So we'll put our eyes on Ames. We'll see this team that has been built up to a level they have never been before. Right. And let's see if they're ready for prime and time. And you know what? The the the, uh, the television audience was good. It was just under $4 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people watched that football game. I'm not sure how many were there at the end of it, um, you know, when the game was decided mm-hmm. at that point. But a lot of folks found Cyhawk. A lot of national college football fans found Cyhawk for, I don't want to say the first time, uh, but certainly some of them, 
planned their college football day around Cyhawk for the first time. Another part of that from outside the state was uh, I was surprised those TV numbers though. Colorado Texas A and M did a better number. Colorado Texas A and M on basically at the same time. Yeah, did a better did number. It really, it did. Now Colorado Texas A that game was awful, mm-hmm. and their 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 lead in was what? It was Ohio State Oregon, right? Yes, on Fox. Yep. Right. So uh, here's the overall TV numbers for Saturday: Oregon, yeah. Ohio State dominated. 7.7 million viewers. Yeah. Washington, Michigan was second, 4.7, 4.5 for Texas A&M, Colorado, and then the Seahawks game mm-hmm. at 3.89 million. So, same time slot there, but that was a compelling game. That came down to the fourth quarter. Which one, A&M, Colorado? Right. It was an awful game. 10-7, though. Right. It was close. Right. And Quarterback so got knocked out. Uh, and you know the other thing about that game? We never touched on this. I, I think I, we, you, Bam, and I, we have a, what do you call those things? A text, text thread. A text thread. That was a four-hour game. Hmm. We're seeing more four-hour games in college football. Um, or, 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 or The Oregon-Ohio State game was 3 o'clock mm-hmm. before they got to, to, uh, uh, to Denver for the Texas A&M-Colorado game. It's, there's a lot of these games, Trent, that are bleeding over into the next time slot. Speaking of that, the end of the Iowa State-Iowa game, I recorded it and was watching it Sunday night, going back and going through and making some notes. And, uh, yeah, I didn't get to see the missed field goal at the end. Oh, you didn't hit the extension? I did. It was 30 you minutes. didn't get enough of it. Yeah, should have done an hour. <laughs> right. And I normally do, but for whatever reason, when I set the DVR uh, the day before, I didn't add the hour mm-hmm. as opposed to the 30-minute extension there because there was that one thing, kickoff, Washington, Michigan, 17 minutes away, and there were still five, six minutes left in the Iowa mm. State game. Is that a bad thing for college football? To go it, four hours? Yes. It needs to be tightened. I don't know how you can do it. Well, you gotta. it starts with the clock rules. you got to go to the NFL clock rules, where it's not... Clock continues to run right. when the chains are moving. Mm-hmm. And those kind of, that's a huge part of it, mm-hmm. because the NFL has been able to do it. Right. We know how they get commercials in there. Right. It's not because of commercial they inventory. They stop the clock at five minutes when, the, when it's out of bounds, whereas in college football, it's two minutes. Sure. So, so, But ultimately, the NFL has better, the way their clock rules are. So, Well, they end the games quicker. I, yeah. mean, I mean, proof is in the pudding, right? At noon, you seldom get games going past 3.30. I mean, you get games going right up to 3.25, but not to going up to 4 o'clock. No, no, unless... I mean, it's got to be an overtime game, and there's got to be something crazy mm-hmm. that happened to push it to that. There where... were two games that kicked off at 11 o'clock this past weekend. One of them was the Oregon-Ohio State game, mm-hmm. and there was another early game, and I don't remember which one it was. But it was a four-hour tilt as well. And it feels like those Fox games, they got even more commercials in there. Doesn't it feel that way? Yeah. Now I should ask my buddy who was the red hat on the field for Iowa. Is that true? He would know. Is the Fox, Mm -hmm. is it an extra 30 seconds, 15 Mm -hmm. seconds, whatever it is in there? Because, man, those breaks seem like they're a long time when it's on Fox. They they do. All right, we've got a break coming up right now, in fact. Uh, We will uh, come back and be joined by David Eichholt. We'll get the latest on Iowa. We'll do Iowa State tomorrow, clone fans. We'll get Ben Visser in here uh, to share what he heard with us. Uh, Stephen M. Sippel tomorrow as well, previewing Nebraska and Oklahoma. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Kenny White in 25 minutes. David Eicholt next. Miller and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KX and 0108. Now back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KX and O and 106.3 FM. Here's Ken and Trent. 
Brian Miller and Condon, welcome back. In 15 minutes or so, we'll head west to Vegas. Kenny White, KennyWhiteSports.com. Right now, we'll head east to David Eicholt, who covers Iowa for HawkeyeInsider.com. Part of 24-7 Sports. been a couple of weeks since we've uh, caught up with uh, David Eicholt. First of all, congratulations on the extension, staying at 24-7 Sports, uh, providing uh, Hawkeye fans with all the uh, intel that you do. You work hard over there. You deserve it. Congratulations. David, how are you? Hey, good, guys. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm definitely happy to be sticking around here for uh, for a few more years. So it's uh, exciting times for sure, but uh, definitely appreciate it. Good to be talking to you again. Good to be talking to you, and you've got a really good football team to cover this year, at least after two weeks. It certainly looks like you do. Defensive side of the football I don't know. I th- we're getting ahead of ourselves trying to rank this group with you know some of the other gr- groups that either Norm or Phil Parker have had uh, in the Ferentz era. But man, oh man, this one is. Um, uh, it, it's it's going to be it's it's still establishing its place, but I think we're going to be talking about that in those terms in the weeks months ahead. Yeah, I think no doubt. I think you know. I think you look back at some of the other great Iowa defenses. I think you see more of you know captivating headliners of each group. I mean, I think you think of Desmond King, you think of you know Josh Jackson, you think of Josie Jewell. Uh, I mean, you know whether it be Pat Anger. I mean, you can really just go back as far. Sanders. Can, but what I'll say about this group is the way they've worked together and the lack of headlines, everybody just does their job. I think even though the defensive line hasn't really been able to get to the quarterback a lot, you know, I think that they've done a great job of staying in their gaps, and I think that that's been a big part of success, and I think that's one of the toughest things to teach a young defensive lineman because they're so eager to make a play that they escape their gaps. I don't think we've really seen that with this group, and then you see the emergence of Justin Jacobs, who I think his mm. upside is absolutely off the chart. Um, but I think it's just a very good collective group. I really don't think there's any weak points in the secondary. I mean, Riley Moss, what he's been able to do through two games, only allowing three catches for a total of 13 yards. Matt Hankins with a pair of interceptions. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned Kayvon Merriweather much or Jack Kerner this year. But, I mean, you're talking about two pretty reliable safety options there as well. And then you got throwing Dane Belton. So, I, again, I think there's a long way to go, but for what this group has done in terms of slowing down two offenses that I know I think the nation thought was going to be pretty good this year, I mean, they're off to a flying start. And, I mean, you look at the defense has almost outscored the offenses that they've gone up against. Um, so we'll see where this team can go, but uh, I think the defense is definitely in a good spot. One of the stories that's still, looking back upon it, is wild to me, is Zach Van Volkenberg, a guy that comes in mm-hmm. from Little Hillsdale College. He's playing D2 football, putting up big numbers on the defensive line there, but making that leap. And last year, leads the country in fumble recoveries with four, led to some Big Ten honors. Still, he was pretty good, not great, I didn't think, a year ago. And the development that he has made, this leap into his final season as a football player, he is as important as anybody, I think, on that defensive line where they played 10 guys on Saturday. His development, though, has just been huge for this program in my mind. No, I think that's a very good point. And I think another thing that people need to take into account is you're talking about a D2 guy that transferred into Iowa. He was one of the three-player representatives for the team in Indy this yeah. year for Big Ten Media Days. So I think if that, you know, if his on-field play doesn't speak to the volumes and how much his teammates look up to him and how important he is, then I think that should. But Van Balkenberg, I think he's a very reliable, contained guy on the edge, especially in run defense. I still think his, his pass rush can continue to grow and to continue to get better. I mean, like everybody else on that D-line, but he's attracting a lot of attention. I think that's really helped free up guys like Lucas Van Ness in the middle, uh, like a Deontay Craig and Joe Evans and John Wagner, who I think has been a very big part of that defense as well, just in terms of 
establishing the tone. He had two pass deflections in the first two drives against Iowa State last week, which I thought rattled uh, Brock Purdy a little bit. So I think you make a good point about Zach Van Valkenburg. I do think he still needs to emerge as that elite pass rush guy, but his leadership on that very young defensive line, I think that's as important as any other component on this defense. Let's go to the other side of the ball, but stay in the trenches. Uh, we saw DeYoung. I thought Nick DeYoung uh, had an impactful Saturday in Ames. I thought he looked good. Connor Schott's going to be back. Uh, what what does Ference anticipate he'll get out of the shooter? And then what about the right tackle spot? Colby seems to see uh, his uh, opportunities. Uh, that arrow was pointing up. Uh, he played certainly more against uh, Iowa State than he did against Indiana. How will the right side of the offensive line solidify itself now that shot uh, is working his way back yeah i think that could be a big storyline i think when people talk about where this offense and the lack of offense right now they're 125th in yards per play i mean they only gained i believe 100 you know 86 yards on saturday against iowa state i think the offensive line is the biggest thing right now just because of the youth i think that when tyler shot I don't, he's not going to start on Saturday from what I've been told so far, but he's working his way back. We'll be interested to see how many snaps he gets. Um, I think once he gets back with Linderbaum in the middle, I just think that the experience and the leadership is going to be absolutely huge for this team. And you talk about the right offensive line. I thought Nick DeYoung did a good job. I think Mason Richmond's upside is still, you know, I think he's flexible. I think he can play him either right or left. I think he's got a lot of room to grow, but I like what I've seen out of him. And the way he's kind of attacked every day in practice has been a big storyline uh, from Kirk and George Barnett whenever we've gotten a chance uh, to speak with them. So I don't anticipate Kyler really playing heavy snaps this week. I mean, I think if he can get you know, 20 to 25 or 25 to 30, I think that'd be a good number for him just because of how much he's really missed. But he's been practicing, and I think there's going to slowly try to ease his way back uh, into the group. And as far as the offensive line goes, specifically the right side, these next two weeks are going to be the two most important weeks of the entire season, just in terms of preparation, getting that consistency and that confidence against you know a Kent State like a Colorado State before they dive back into uh, Big Ten play. Because right now, I mean, you guys know this just as much as I do, every opportunity right now for Iowa, the nation's watching the number five in the country. So, you know, we'll see where they can go, but uh, the offensive line could be, I think, the biggest component, maybe even more than Spencer Petras going forward. Speaking of Petrus, let's go there. Great second quarter. The rest of the game, a little shaky, including the offense as a whole. Your takeaway from Petrus in these two weeks, just the importance of taking on two defenses that are really struggling here with the golden flashes followed by the Rams. Yeah, you know, Petrus is an interesting story, and I understand a lot of the criticism behind him, but I also think that you need to look at how many clean pockets has he really got. And I think when he gets a clean pocket and when he sets his feet, he's a completely different quarterback. I mean, that ball he threw at charlie jones for the touchdown saturday was i think his best throw he's ever made as an mm-hmm. iowa quarterback including the couple deep balls they had last year near the end of the season i think he's done a better job of escaping the pocket i think the biggest thing that worries me just from saturday was his you know he just would not get rid of the football on third down i mean he took him out of field goal range yep. once because he took a sack on a third down there were a couple other times that he just didn't throw the ball away and i thought he did a pretty good job of that uh, against Indiana, but took a step back again against Iowa State. With that being said, though, I still think that Petrus has really done a good job of making good decisions. I know he's kind of locked on one receiver a little bit just as much as he did last year, but he's not putting passes in harm's way. I mean, I can't really think off the top of my head how many passes he's thrown. We're like, okay, that was going to be picked off, as opposed to last year when, you know, there are probably two or three passes a game that were either dropped by the defense or were really, really just poor throws 
Uh, I think his decision-making is getting better, but I do think that Spencer Petras has to find a way to get the wide receivers involved. I think he's For very sure. much relying on Sam Laporta and Tyler Goodson as the check-down guys, but you got to find a way to get Tyrone Tracy the ball because I still think he's one of the most dynamic playmakers on the offense. Yeah, he's caught four passes uh, in the two combined uh, in, in the two games. Charlie Jones uh, may be emerging, David. I want to get your take on him. Uh, but look, we know what he can do when he's returning punts. That When he was surrounded by Cyclones, uh, that was a huge, huge turning point. Uh, the ball hits the ground, Milton lets it go. The Hawks, a uh, great defensive stand. And then Charlie Jones, surrounded by Cyclones, finds a way to return it for 20 yards. But it looks as though he's starting to take his place um, uh, in the as far as getting opportunities to catch the football. I'm with you. The, the, the touchdown pass was maybe his um, um, as good a pass as Petrus has thrown. I thought the one that he missed him by an inch um, might have mm-hmm. been the one because uh, that uh, that had a chance. But so my question is, is Charlie Jones catching the coach's eye and might he become uh, the go to guy at that wide receiver spot? You know, that's an interesting question because I think you look back to what just he did, I mean, throughout the offseason, throughout spring, and basically since Charlie Jones got on campus, they've long said that he's a guy that's been really making big plays in practice. There'll be one jaw-dropping play a week at least by him. And he just, you know, really emerged. But I think last year he just didn't get the reps because, I mean, you look at Amir Smith-Marseille, you look at Brandon Smith. I mean, you looked at when they had those guys. But this year it was basically an open competition, and Charlie Jones, does have experience playing wide receiver and being productive at the FBS level. I mean, you go back to his time at Buffalo, he's only there for a year, 18 catches for 395 yards, 22 yards per catch with three touchdowns. Mm. This is a guy that knows what it takes to get it done. And uh, if he can emerge as that short area quickness guy and, you know, maybe a downfield threat with his, with his athleticism, I'd be very curious to see if Spencer Petras and this Iowa offense really try to open up the playbook, especially downfield against these next two teams. I think if they can complete a couple of those passes, whether it be to Jones, whether it be to Tracy, I think that confidence is going to go a long way. And for this Iowa offense to take the next step, I think there's a lot of steps they can take. But they've got to get the wide receivers involved. They have talent there. They've got to get the playmakers the ball. And uh, I think that ultimately comes down to play calling. It's going to come down to Petrus being able to find those guys and taking those chances. We've got 20 seconds left. What time is the Penn State gonna, game going to kick off? I do think it's going to be a morning game. So do I. But it's either going to be the late game or the 11 a.m. I'm going to bite the bullet, though, and say 11 a.m. Yep, I'm with you. David Eicholt uh, from uh, Hawkeye Insider under the 247, 24-7 umbrella. David, we appreciate your contribution. Glad you're sticking here uh, around in the state covering Hawkeye sports. Thank you, David Eicholt. Appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Take care. Yep. Thanks. Good to talk to you. David Eicholt, uh, 24-7 sports, HawkeyeInsider.com. Good stuff. You're not happy with that, though. You don't want that 11 o'clock kick. No, no, no. The fan base doesn't. I get it. No. Huge game. Build it up all day. Maybe not all day. Night game. Yeah, night game would be best. Stripes Stadium. Uh Uh-huh. Under the lights. A lot of tailgate time. Well lubricated. You don't have to drink drink up. You can buy them when you're inside. Actually got a babysitter that day, so my wife and I can actually go. Nice. Yeah. 11 a.m. Kenny White, KennyWhiteSports.com next. Miller and Condon, 1460 kicks. And it's not official. That's just speculation. But it sure seems like it's trending in that direction. 1460 KX and 010. care. Hi, Miller and Condon. Welcome back. Des Moines 
Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Trent and I with you until noon. Off to Vegas, we shall go. Kenny White, KennyWhiteSports.com. He joins us. We're going to get into some of his games here uh, coming up momentarily. Kenny, Trent, and Ken, thank you for coming on. Uh, as always, we appreciate it. Where I want to start with you is I saw a tweet uh, I don't know if it was from you, but it was attributed to you. Maybe you were on a show talking about Skylar Thompson, the Kent, uh, Kansas State quarterback who's going to miss significant time. Of course, he did last year as well. You downgrade K-State, if this is to be real, um, four and a half points based on that injury. That's huge, but he means a ton to that offense. He sure does. What a great player. Uh, it's a shame because... Skylar Thompson uh, was injured last year uh, after he started out uh, on a roll. But, you know, this is a very well-coached team with Chris Kleiman. Um, and Will Howard did get some experience last year. So I could see, you know, Will Howard cutting into that gap as the season goes along. But, boy, what a difference in, you know, in, in passers. Skylar Thompson just a far better passer. And that his senior leadership is going to be sorely missed. And we saw this team fall apart a little bit last year uh, when Thompson got hurt. They lost their last five games of the season, went two and three ATS. So, yeah, it's a big loss. That's four and a half points. And it's, that you just, if you did the math in the magazine, you know, I'm, I'm still at the same rating on both quarterbacks. But as I said, I'll probably raise Will, Will Howard up a little bit as we go here. So, Will Howard, and yeah, it's uh, inconsistent, maybe the best way to put that. Speaking of that, Kenny, we're a couple weeks into this now. How much have your power numbers changed? How much do you take your influence of what you've seen these first two weeks compared to all the work that you did throughout the spring and summer? How much advancement, how quickly do you change those power numbers? No, I have every game. Uh, and and I, I you know don't want to mean too knee-jerk. If I have a great feel for a team, I'm not going to adjust that powering that much. I'm going to tweak it a half point or point here or there. And a lot of it has to do with that quarterback play because he is the most important part of the rating. So there have been some teams I've had to make some knee-jerk reactions on and, and upgrade their ratings because uh, I don't want to continue to to bet against those teams. And Army is probably the one team that, man, they looked awfully good. But you know what? They didn't cover against Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky drove the field and got a backdoor backdoor cover and uh, uh, was a nice win. But, uh, yeah, that was a team I've upgraded a little bit. There's several others. There's so many teams now. My head's spinning because I'm following every FCS team as well. Uh, I'll give you and your listeners one team right now that, that has really caught my attention at the FCS level, and they're 2-0 and ATS, and they're getting way, way overpriced or underpriced is Norfolk State. Uh, you'll get a big number on them each and every week uh, for at least the next four weeks. Bet you they cover four in a row. They'll cover six straight. They've already covered two. I bet you they cover four more in a row before the actual number people get caught up with that team. Interesting. We've got five games to get to. One more real quick um, general question, then, uh, then get into the games. Uh, week one, we overreact to the NFL. What team did you make the biggest adjustment on after week one of the, uh, of the NFL? Uh, Los Angeles Rams, uh, the, you know, Stafford being their head, their quarterback now, he's able to stretch the field. This offense is so much more dynamic. I mean, you could just anoint them the Super Bowl the way they looked against the Bears. And it is just one game, but I know that offense is that much better with a great coach like Sean McVay. This is a dangerous football team now. So I, I've raised their rating up. I believe their rating jumped up uh, about three and a half points, which is a major, major move. 
and I still have a bet against them this week after moving them up that much. Mm. So my knee-jerk reaction wasn't even as much as the sports books and the betters out there. Interesting. Miami hosts Michigan State, a Michigan State team. Kenny, I had no hope for coming in this year. I thought the Mel Tucker hire was going to be bad. Yet they look good here two weeks in Miami. Well, they played Alabama. You don't want to overrate that performance there. What do you see here? Just shy of a touchdown, six and a half the number. Yeah, I, I like the game over. Offensive coordinator Jay Johnson is an up-tempo guy. He runs a spread option attack. That uh, They're number 24 in the country in tempo, and they're number six in yards per play so far. And they found a redshirt sophomore quarterback in Peyton Thorne who's been terrific. Uh, 30 for 46, 460 yards. That's 10 yards a pass, five touchdown passes. And that's against two good defenses. Northwestern's defense is still very good. They're defensive-oriented team. And, and Youngstown State, for an FCS team, defense has been their calling card forever. So he did this against two solid defensive teams. Uh, Miami, obviously their defense is going to be as good, if not better. But Michigan State's up-tempo offense is, is, is where this is at because Miami plays up-tempo. They're number eight in the country in tempo, 22 seconds between plays. And Derek King, uh, I think now has been able to shake a little bit of the, you know, the knee injury, uh, worries off because when you have those type of surgeries and you get out there, you're always questioning and you don't, you're not in that comfort zone yet. I'm hoping he gets there. He was 23 for 30 against Alabama, so I, I think he can put some points up on the board here. So I like over 56 and a half. Uh, anxious to get your opinion on Cincinnati, Indiana. Cincinnati will play this week, then get a bye before Notre Dame. Games in Bloomington, and the home team is getting points three and a half four. Uh, Cincinnati, Indiana. Your thoughts? Yeah, the number I think's right. I think it's right on where it should be. Uh, Indiana has not shown yet that they've proven they're the same Indiana from last year, but I, I have other signs of it. And, uh, Luke Fickle's team is going to be under, it's a little bit of pressure here. It's a tough road game against a very good team. Uh, I'm going to go over this football game, um, knowing it's a big game, but Luke Fickle's known for his defense, but this team scored 37 points a game last year. And Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, has been in, on fire so far. 538 passing yards and just 47 attempts, uh, well over 11 yards a pass with six touchdowns. And Tom Allen's team averaged 31 a game last year and 34 in 2019. Uh, Michael Penix really struggled against Iowa's defense with three interceptions. Uh, and last week, uh, Indiana stayed very vanilla against uh, Idaho. Uh, he went 11 for 16 for just 68 yards. He did throw two touchdown passes, but they didn't show anything. They didn't want to open the offense up. And uh, I think they're going to have a chance to a little bit here in this game that Penix is going to have to throw downfield and stretch the Cincinnati defense out a little bit. But it's 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 the Cincinnati offense that's got me excited. 37 points a game last year, and they're just as good this year. Florida, Alabama, and for many people, this might be the unveiling of Anthony Richardson, as long as he's healthy, the backup quarterback for the, for the Gators, 6'4", 245, he's a monster, averaging over 22 yards per play in his limited reps this season. Any chance against Bama, though? Yeah, I think so. Uh, my, this is a great home field. Uh, the Swamp is going to be loud. This will be Bryce Young's first true road start. 
Uh, last year, the Gators gave at Bama the, their their best game. They they only lost by six. I know they were down 35-14 at halftime, but they made such a great comeback in the second half, and they made that SEC game a a, a ball game. Uh, they they looked dangerous in that second half, outscoring uh, Alabama. And then this one's you know revenge type of situation. You mentioned Anthony Richardson. Well, the Gators have played nobody their first two games. South Florida and Florida Atlantic, both games they were well over three touchdown favorites. They stayed very vanilla with their offense, and Emory Jones uh, did not look good, the starting quarterback, but he's got a lot of talent, and I, and I have faith in him. But Anthony Richardson stepped in and done a remarkable job, as you mentioned. He's 6 for 11, 192 yards through the air, and he ran the ball 11 times for 275 yards. I guess he did tweak his hamstring a little bit on uh, the last touchdown run, the long one. But, it, you know, all reports are that uh, he's fine, he's healthy, they've stretched it out, shouldn't be any any and lingering effects in this game. So uh, you're going to see both quarterbacks, and you're right, you may see Anthony Richardson a lot more in this one. I'm taking 15 with the Gators. I think this will be a way more defensive battle than last year's 52-46 game. You're going to see more defense by both teams than offense. Uh, we'll skip over Auburn-Penn State uh, just because I don't want to run out of time before we get Iowa State-UNLV in here. Uh, watch UNLV. Broomfield got hurt, didn't finish the game. I thought he was his, the, their best chance offensively. Uh, UNLV defensively got question marks. Clones off a loss. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to go under in this game. Matt Campbell hasn't shown the um, uh, will to run scores up against anybody. His team's 1-4 and four ATS the last five times. He's been a 20-plus favorite. Uh, and their pace is 78th in the country. They're they're playing slow. When Brock Purdy, there's question marks. He has gone downhill every single year from 10.2 yards a pass, 8.4, 7.5, and 6.4 this year. He did face two really good defenses. So I expect that yard per pass to go back up. But I've, I've seen his power rating drop all four years now in his stats. I've raised him up a little bit because I'm expecting more out of him each year. I'm not getting it, though. Uh, UNLV has, uh, Marcus Arroyo has gone to a methodical slow down offense. Uh, they're 111th in the country in tempo, uh, 20th in the country in run percentage at 64%, and their offense is 120th in yards per play at 4.1. It's not going to get any easier against Iowa State's defense. So I'm going under 53 in this football game. The quarterbacks have been horrible. Uh, both Broomfield and Rodgers combined 19 for 42. For just 207 yards, less than five yards a pass. So uh, this offense is going backwards, and I don't see it getting any better against Iowa State. A lot of Cyclone fans making their way to uh, Las Vegas. KennyWhiteSports.com, special weekly specials there if you want to need some help. Kenny White, KennyWhiteSports.com. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you in a week. Yes, thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you do the same. Kenny White from KennyWhiteSports.com. Hour number two coming up next. Cappy kicks it off. Mitch Holtis, voice of the Kansas City Chiefs at 1130. 1460.